We're in the Gospel of John for, for Advent, just in chapter 1. As John begins his gospel, his, his story of this, this Jesus, listen to what he says in chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And we be seated. You're, you're probably wondering why, why, why the lights are out. Um, you will learn. I, uh, it's not a malfunction. I, I asked the tech booth to kill the lights uh, because there, there's something about darkness that's really odd. You know, it's, especially when you're expecting there to be light, darkness feels strange. It's peculiar. It's like you think about when, when there's a storm and the house lights flicker on and off and you get a little scared. You know, we're all kind of disoriented around daylight savings when it's like dark at 4 p.m. It's, just, it's odd. Darkness is peculiar when we're expecting light. And I think it's because we, we all know we weren't designed to live in darkness. We need light. Things grow in light. We know that we need light to live. Huh? Magic. But in all seriousness, we know this reality. Plants need light to live. We need light to live. We recognize that. And it's one of the reasons why I love Christmas is when we begin to see more and more light around our homes, around our neighborhoods, around the city, uh, my, my family, one of our favorite traditions is uh, when our kids will, pr- will pretend like we're putting them to sleep and we get them in their pajamas, but then we, we go in the van and we go look at Christmas lights. And we had this whole route mapped out around the city where we see those various neighborhoods where like people go all out, you know, for Christmas lights. The people that like take out a second mortgage to pay for their electric bill in December. Uh, you know, their neighbors may hate them, but our family loves them, you know. But, but there's something about the season of Christmas where we begin to see more and more light, and, and it's festive, you know, but the reason why light is so associated with Christmas is because it's around this time that we recognize the world is a dark place. And so we, in, in very festive ways, try to bring light and shine it in our homes, in our lives, to kind of brighten up the darkness that we see. We recognize the world is a dark place. But I, but I want to push us a little bit further down this kind of proverbial, illuminary path and, and, and ask the question, why do we see darkness? Why is there darkness in the world? And, and it may sound kind of strange to, in, in a Christmas message, to talk about darkness. And this is what I want us to expl- explore and kind of consider as we turn to John chapter 1 and look at, as we continue on in our series in Advent, uh, on that you may believe. John is writing his gospel so that people might believe in Jesus, the Son of God, the Word of God, the true light that has come to this earth. You see, the story of, of, of John 1, 
We're, we're looking at the story of Christmas, but not in the microscopic lens story of, 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 of shepherds and wise men. I almost said wizards. That's definitely not in the story of Christmas. Uh, but we're stepping back and looking at the cosmic story of Christmas, which John is giving us in his opening chapter. You see, the story of Christmas is more than just happy birthday, Jesus. Although that's true, we celebrate the birth of Christ. There's more going on. And what I want us to explore this morning as we turn to John 1 is to see that Jesus is the true light of God shining in a dark world. And if there's one thing you take away from our time this morning, I want you to just consider this statement, which I believe is what John is trying to show us, is that when it comes to Jesus being the true light, we are to walk in the light or be lost in darkness. This is the profound statement that I believe John is making and I want us to explore. And it's a bold statement. And it's one that we need the Lord's help to understand. So I want to pray for our time before we, before we jump in. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask in this time that your spirit would open our eyes to see your truth. Open our ears to hear from you. And Lord, may you give us a wider, more robust, more glorious picture of what we celebrate and remember this Christmas season. The story of God with us. So Lord, may this time be honoring to you and encouraging to us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So, walk in light or be lost in darkness. This is kind of the big idea that I think John is showing us in chapter 1. Uh, and so in John 1, basically, John is writing again that we might believe. He's writing that people for generations to come would believe that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God, God incarnate, as we sang this morning, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. And what I want us to see as we look at Jesus at the light, I mean, that's beautiful and nice and true and cute, but, but to understand the, the profound nature of Jesus as the light of God, we have to understand the profound nature of darkness. And that's what I want to turn to first. We need to see that before Jesus is the true light, that there is a darkness that we cannot defeat. There is a darkness in our world and in our lives that we cannot defeat. A few years ago, there was an article in Slate Magazine entitled, The End of Evil. And the article essentially kind of made this point, you know, has asked the question, has neuroscience and psychology explained away evil? And, and I thought that they, they framed the problem of evil in a very interesting way. The article goes on to say this, what is this force which sounds suspiciously supernatural for an atheist to believe in? Is it some kind of Luciferian kryptonite? Where is it located? In the material or non-material world? That is the real problem of evil. Now that is, I think it's so key for us to grasp this because for theists, for people who would believe in God, you know, they have their own set of problems of evil. You know, how could a good God allow evil pain and suffering? But the secularist, the non-theist, is, is not without her own you know, set of problems of evil. If there is no God, if there's no source of morality and objective truth, how can we declare something evil? And really, how can we declare something good? And this is where I think the brilliance of John's gospel speaks to our cultural moment today. Like, we look at the Bible sometimes as just this collection of antiquated, irrelevant spiritual writings, but John, I believe, speaks to our situation, our understanding of how we wrestle with and explain darkness in our world. And so what John does is he employs the imagery of light and darkness to, to try to make these seemingly abstract concepts of God, faith, and evil, how to make them a little bit clearer. 
And so we see in John 1, verses 4 and 5, John says, In him, referring to Jesus, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, John uh, loves employing the, the metaphor of light and darkness in his gospel as well as in his three letters at the end of the New Testament, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. And when John talks about darkness and light, he, he's referring to darkness as it's a metaphor for moral corruption as well as kind of a conceptual distortion. That, that to walk in darkness, to be in darkness, is to both live incorrectly and to see incorrectly. And that's kind of the predicament that John is laying out for us, that the human condition is really one of not living correctly and not seeing the world correctly. Now, John is wanting his readers to see that darkness, when he talks about darkness, it's not just this kind of simple metaphor. It's not just a concept or or a vague enemy that resides in psychopaths and terrorists. Darkness lives within the home of every human heart. And it's a, it's a darkness that we cannot defeat. John is trying to paint this cosmic picture of Christmas and showing us that the reason why Jesus the light must come is because in the heart or the home of every human heart is a darkness we cannot defeat, a darkness that confuses us, a darkness that we object to as well as are complicit in creating, which is actually displayed really well in the, the World War II movie, The Thin Red Line. There's a scene in this movie where these American soldiers are entering into an enemy camp and, and the camera starts to slow down, slow motion, and, and the sound kind of drops out. And all you hear is this kind of thoughtful, poetic commentary of an American soldier trying to make sense of the evil he is both witnessing and wielding in this war. And here's what this soldier says. He says, this great evil, where does it come from? How did it steal into the world? What seed or what root did it grow from? Who's doing this? Who's killing us, robbing us of life and light, mocking us with the sight of what we might have known? Does our ruin benefit the earth? Does it help the grass to grow and the sun to shine? Is this darkness in you too? Have you passed through this night? What I believe This soldier, and what I believe John is trying to show us in his first chapter of his gospel, is that there is a darkness in this world, and we all have to give some explanation for how how do you explain darkness? How do you explain the evil you observe and experience and create in your life and in the world around us? I mean, can we actually look at, at genocide and racism and human trafficking, and, and, and abortion, and, and economic corruption, and sexual assault, and, and, and call these things anything but evil? Are we really okay just saying, no, these are just products of, of psychological dissonance and societal discord? That's, that's all it is. Even the late prominent uh, atheist Christopher Hitchens, maybe you know him, he, he passed away a number of years ago, but Christopher Hitchens, who is known for hating God, hating the idea of God, arguing against any form of theism, couldn't escape the haunting reality that evil is a force in our world. In fact, Hitchens wrote an essay in the wake of Osama bin Laden's death, and in this essay, Hitchens admits in saying these, these words, I thought then and I think now that Osama bin Laden was a near flawless personification of the mentality of a real force, the force of Islamic Jihad. 
And I also thought and think now that this force absolutely deserves to be called evil. So Hitchens himself cannot escape the fact that there is a force that seems so supernatural to say from an atheist standpoint, but he can't escape it. And so here's the thing, you and I, we, we can come to the Christmas story with skepticism, with doubt, and that's, that's fine. You may be here and you're just like, I, I don't have, want anything to do with this whole narrative of a God and a baby in a manger. This, this makes no sense to me. I'm not asking you to suspend or dismiss your skepticism or your doubts. But what I am asking us to do is to at least consider, is your understanding of evil, of darkness in this world, is it satisfactory? Are you satisfied with your explanation of why things ought not to be the way they are? John, as he opens up his gospel, he is helping us step back and look at the grand narrative. He is tying Jesus, the word of God, to the creation account in Genesis 1, that Jesus is the same one who spoke existence into being. But John is also showing us that this darkness, this evil that we see in the world and in our lives is rooted in what takes place on page 3 of the Bible in Genesis 3. The separation from God, the darkness and evil that we see and experience, object to as well as create, is the product of humanity severing himself and herself from the source of all light and truth. And so what this means is that the cause, the cause of the darkness that you and I look at in this world and object to and critique and scratch our heads at and ask, why is the world this way? The cause is found in the heart of every human being. It is found in the darkness that resides in you and me. And it's a darkness we cannot defeat. That's the bleakness of this story. But, but the good news of Christmas is that yes, while there is a darkness we cannot defeat, there is a light that cannot be overcome. And, and if we don't grasp the depth of the darkness that we both create and observe in this world, we will fail to see the brightness and the beauty of the light of Christ, a light that cannot be overcome. When, when I was about five years old, uh, I was playing hide-and-seek with my older brother, Casey, and my younger brother, Aaron. And, and I had the brilliant idea of hiding in this old, like, antiquated trunk that my mom got from, like, a pirate ship or something. And I, and I, I got in the trunk closed the lid, and it latched. And uh, I, I, it was a great hiding spot. Uh, and no one knew where I was. And no one could hear me because my mom was blaring her Sandy Patty album like as loud as she possibly could. And no one knew where I was. And so I'm banging on this trunk, hoping that someone would rescue me. And so like, what felt like a week and a half, uh, it was probably just 10 minutes, my brothers finally heard me banging on the trunk. They opened the latch, and I emerged. And, and, and I share that story. Maybe they were just sitting on the trunk the whole time, actually. Like, oh, where's Reed? Um, but I, I share that story because I was, in, I was in utter darkness, no light whatsoever. I was in utter darkness. The only way I could be rescued out of darkness is if something from the outside broke in. And that is exactly what John is saying when he's referring to Jesus as the true light. That the darkness we experience and create is a darkness we cannot defeat. And if there is any hope that we can find, it is in a light that must break in. As John says in verse 9, the true light, referring to Christ, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So notice that John does not say the light came out of the world, it came from the world or from within the world. 
John is making it clear that our world, our hearts, are dark. And they have created the darkness that we see, and there is no source of light to be found within us or around us. If there is going to be a remedy to the darkness we see and the darkness we create, it must come from outside us. And yet we still look within ourselves to find the light to rescue us from the problems that we face, but to no avail. And this is exactly what the prophet Isaiah declared in Isaiah uh, chapter 8, the end of chapter 8. Isaiah is referring to the darkness of humanity and the plight and the condition that we're in. Isaiah declares these words 700 years before Christ. And he says, and they will look to the earth, referring to just broken humanity, and, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. So notice what Isaiah says, they, they will look around to the earth, they will find, they will seek out rescue and a light from somewhere outside, somewhere in this world, but to no avail. And, and this is really describing our condition. I mean, we recognize the world is dark. We recognize that things are wrong. But we continue to turn to things like the state or to, to education or to the free market or to technology or Bitcoin or whatever it is that we think is going to like solve the problems of our reality. But to no avail. And the reason why is because we are, we are looking for a light inside to solve the problem of the darkness that we think is outside us. But the reality is we need a light that is outside us to save us and rescue us from the darkness that is inside us, which is precisely what the prophet Isaiah declares right after the words we just read in the opening verses of chapter 9, as Isaiah declares the promise of the one who would come, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. The light that Isaiah has foretold, who is declaring 700 years before Jesus, that light is the light that John is declaring to us in his opening chapter of his gospel. Again, John is giving us this cosmic story of Christmas. It's more than happy birthday Jesus. It's more than donkeys and shepherds. It is the picture of the creator God coming into our world to be with us. Jesus is the one who spoke light out of darkness at the beginning of creation. Jesus is the same light who Isaiah foretold and promised would come and deliver God's people. Jesus is the same light that John the Baptist is bearing witness to, which even John the Baptist, his, his bearing witness was a promise that Isaiah declared. And Jesus is the same light that continues to shine through his church to bring peace and hope to this world. And Jesus is the one that John himself wrote about in the Revelation, the last chapter of the book of the Bible, as we see that Jesus is the light who will shine forever in the new creation. As John declares in Revelation 22, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. They will reign forever and ever. So yes, there is, there is a real evil and there is real darkness in our world and in our lives. And often it feels, there are times where it feels hopeless. And, and perhaps some of you are in that place that, that you are so overwhelmed by your own darkness, by your own evil or by, by the evil and darkness of others and you feel that there is no way of finding any kind of light in the situation you're in. And, and that's an important place to be in some sense because we have to understand that the darkness we see in this world is a darkness we cannot defeat, but the definitive declaration of the Christmas story is that yes, while there is a darkness that we cannot defeat, there is a light 
that cannot be overcome. That is what John is telling us. The light of Christ is shining. And the question we should ask ourselves is, will we run from it back into the darkness that we maybe feel more comfortable with? Back into the darkness that we cannot defeat? Or will we run to the light that cannot be overcome? The light of Christ is shining, and we must respond. So whether we run to the light or run away from it, either way, what John is saying is that, yes, there's a darkness that cannot be defeated. There's a light that cannot be overcome. But what all this leads us to, actually, is a response that cannot be avoided. In, in John's writing, there, there is this profound literary brilliance. I mean, he writes in such creative ways, especially in this opening prologue. And one of the things that John does is he employs the, the, the literary form of irony to try to showcase how profoundly lost humanity is in light of how good and bright Jesus is. If we see in verses 10 and 11, John says he, referring to Jesus, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, referring to creation. He, Jesus has entered into the place that he has created. And he went even to his own people, referring to Israel. And they did not receive him. So John is pointing out how, how humanity has rejected the source of life. That humanity is running away from the very one that has given them the ability to run in the first place. That, I mean, John is pointing out the, the, the irony of how, how we argue and reject against, we, we push against, we argue against the one who has given us our minds that enable us to argue in the first place. John wants us to see how profoundly lost we are because of our disbelief. In fact, John, throughout his gospel and his letters, John shows that, that really the heart of every sin, that the greatest sin of all is actually disbelief. Which means that, that your greatest sin is, is, not, is not your porn addiction, it is not your alcoholism, it is not your materialism or your greed or your pride. Your ultimate root sin is disbelief. And that's what John is saying. That there is a sense in which the heart of all the problems that we see in this world is rooted in the fact that we do not believe, we have rejected, denied the source of light and truth in life. We may detest and critique the darkness that we see in this world, but we also, we cannot be naive to the fact that we also desire it and create it at times. That we are complicit in the darkness that we object to. And John shows us how the source of darkness in our hearts, rooted in disbelief, is really the greatest evil. And it's what Jesus even affirms later on in John 3 in his interaction with Nicodemus, the, the Pharisee, who came to Jesus wanting to know, what, how do you find eternal life? Where is it to be found? Ironically, Nicodemus goes to Jesus in the darkness of night, and Jesus shines the light of his truth to Nicodemus in verse 18 of chapter 3. Jesus says, whoever believes in him, referring to himself, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. Jesus has come as the light of truth and life. And what John is saying to us, again, he's writing to us that we might believe. What John is saying, Jesus has come and we must respond. There's, there's no middle ground with Jesus. You, you, you can't be neutral. 
There's no Switzerland position of Jesus. You know, there's no middle ground. We must either receive him and walk in him as the light or reject him and stay in darkness. There is no middle ground with Jesus. And so the question for us, as we look at this cosmic story that John is laying out for us, is will we walk in the light or be lost in darkness? And again, that is a profound black and white statement but it is exactly what John is getting at. Will we walk in the light or be lost in darkness? And so let me offer us just a few things to consider as we we think about that question. As we come to Christmas, this is not just a season of sentimentality. It is an opportunity to respond to the true light that has come to bring life and light to all. So the first thing I want us to consider is, have you received the light? Have you come to believe in the one who has declared himself to be the source of all truth and light and life? Jesus has come as the true light so that we might receive and be granted the blessed status of being called a son or daughter of God. Again, Jesus has come not just to give us some good guidelines for life, to not just give us some insights so that we might live life better. He has come not just to display the amazing, miraculous power of God becoming human, but he has come to show us the marvelous love of making enemies and orphans children of God, which is what John says in verse 12, but to all who did receive him and who believed in his name. To believe in someone's name is to believe in the totality of who they are. Those who received him and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The story of Christmas is not just about sentimentality, and it's not even just about God's miraculous ability to become a human. It is the story of God's only son who did not want to remain an only child. That's the story of Christmas, that God came in the form of a human that he might bring orphans like you and me into the family of God. So the question for us is, have we received and believed in this light? But secondly, for those that have received and have believed in the name of Jesus, Are we walking in the ways of the light? Are we walking in the ways of the one who has declared himself to be the source of truth and light? You see, for John, when he talks about light and receiving the light and walking light, those things go hand in hand. There's no disconnect between believing in Jesus as the light of the world and walking in the ways of Jesus. John's very explicit in this, especially in his first letter of 1 John. In chapter 1, verse 6, John says, If we say we have fellowship with him, Jesus, while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. And so ask yourself, am I living a life that wants to be in the light? Am I I running away from darkness or am I remaining in darkness? Am I staying in my sin? One thing I would encourage you to do is to, to read the first letter of John, of 1 John. It's a short book. You can, you can do it in a brief afternoon. And what you see in this letter is John lays out for us what it means to walk in the light. That those who have come to believe and receive Jesus in the light, they walk in him as, as people who, who confess their sin. They have nothing to hide. There's a freedom in confessing our sin. They are people who love generously. They love their neighbors. They're people who are not tempted by material possessions. They live simply. They, they are people who, who love and care for the vulnerable, who live a life of repentance. Are we walking in the light? Or are, we, or are we deluding ourselves? But lastly, for those who have come to receive this light, to walk in this light, we must also recognize that we need to bear witness to this light. 
to see the light of Jesus and to remain silent about it doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute. If we truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God who has entered this world to bring light and truth to our dark world, how can we remain silent? And that doesn't mean that like, okay, tomorrow I'm going into my place of work, I'm going to talk to my neighbors and my classmates, and I'm going to argue them into the faith, I'm going to kind of beat them over the head. That's not the point. We are to bear witness. That's what John the Baptist was doing, bearing witness. As John even opens up his first letter, we are writing to you to tell you what we've seen and heard, what we've experienced. To bear witness to Jesus, the light, is not about arguing people into the faith. It is what, what Madeline LaEngle says so well. She says, we draw people to Christ not by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. Are we people who are bearing witness to this light? Have we received this light? Are we walking in the light? Are we bearing witness to this light? And as as Nathan mentioned in the greeting, one one small, simple way you can just even begin to get into this pathway of bearing witness to this light, invite a friend to the jazz concert. That's a low entry point. I mean, some people may not want to enter into a church. I get that, how uncomfortable that may feel. But think about who is someone you could invite to the jazz concert. And from there, perhaps a conversation is engendered and it leads to an opportunity to share what you have come to believe and know about Jesus, the true light. Okay. I know it's weird, again, to talk about evil and darkness at Christmas time. But again, if we don't understand the depth of how dark our hearts and world are, how how lost and broken we are, we will miss out on the brightness and the glory of Jesus, the true light who has come. Jesus is the one whose light shines, whose whose light cannot be overcome, is the only hope we have of a light breaking into our world. What light is bright enough to push back the darkness of evil, the darkness of sin and death? What, What light could possibly be bright enough to awaken us from the slumber of sin and death It is the light of Christ that the Apostle Paul declares in 2 Corinthians 4, this beautiful declaration that again ties in the whole story of Scripture as Paul says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, the same God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the light we are declaring. This is the light that I am bearing witness to. This is the light that has changed me and I hope has changed you. Will you receive it? And will you walk in the light? Or will you remain in darkness? Come to the light, the only light that can do anything about the darkness we see and create. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you asking, Lord, that as as we have heard from John, Lord, that you would be the light that breaks into the darkness of our lives. Lord, would you shine in the darkness of our sin, of our brokenness, and Lord, would you show us that you are shining your light, not so that we might feel a sense of guilt and shame, but so you might be able to declare to us and see us as your children. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the life you lived and for the death you died and for the resurrection that defeated death ultimately for us. Lord, would we receive you as the light of life, and may we walk in you as the light of life. 
and may we bear witness to the one who is our light and life. It's in his name we pray. Amen. The good news of Christmas is that, yes, while there is a darkness that we cannot defeat, thanks be to God, there is a light that will not be overcome. So as we leave this place, I want to read this benediction from the book of 1 Peter. As we leave this place to be God's church, to be his light shining in a dark place, brothers and sisters, be reminded of this word. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. For what purpose? That we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Go in peace, shedding the light of Christ wherever you go.